Hey Mosaic, thanks so much for joining us for our online service. Before we get started, I just gotta be honest, I can't preach to a camera uh, devoid of anyone in the room anymore. And so we got some of our bands, some of our tech hanging out, so say hi to them. Thanks guys for joining us today so that I'm not just preaching to an empty camera. So if you see me looking off camera, that's why I'm talking to them as well as all of you guys today joining us in our living room, in your kitchen, wherever you might be joining us today. You know, our world is filled with so much bad news. We've got COVID-19, we've got just economic turmoil, just all these things that are going on. And today what we wanna do is just give you some good news because we believe that the good news of Jesus is the gospel. That's what the gospel means, it's good news. And so today uh, we want you to just put your phone down for the next 20 minutes or so and just be ready to hear some good news that God loves you, that God has a plan for your life and in spite of all this craziness, in spite of all the uncertainty, he is here with us. The big idea for this series is that what is better than Jesus physically walking in the flesh beside of us? What could possibly be better than that? It's the Holy Spirit inside of us. That's the only thing that's better than Jesus walking beside us in the flesh is the Holy Spirit inside of us. Well, have you ever met someone who changed your life? Ever met someone who changed your life? For me, there's actually a few people in my life I can look back on and say, man, meeting that person, they really changed my life. And actually one of those is someone that Josh and I both uh, know. His name is Dave Reno. Dave's a pastor. Uh, he's planted Grace Fellowship, one of our parent churches. And many years ago, before we started Mosaic Church, Dave met me and we had a great talk about church planting. And he said, you know, if you ever end up in Minnesota, at that time I was living in Colorado, he said, if you ever end up in Minnesota, let's talk. Because I believe you're the type of person we're looking at to plant churches. And I was like, nah, nah, we're moving to Wisconsin. We're going to be planting a church there. I, I don't think we'll ever be back in Minnesota. And we went to Wisconsin, helped plant a church there, and then things ended. And, and we found ourselves back in my parents' basement, pregnant wife, two kids, jobless, homeless. And Dave contacted me and said, hey, let's grab lunch. And meeting Dave changed my life. Really, because he believed in me. He said, I believe you can do this. I believe God has a purpose and a plan for your life to start a church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. And that person changed my life. One of my favorite people in the Bible is a man named Peter. Uh, he's one of Jesus' closest friends. He's an outdoorsy guy. He's a fisherman. He cursed like a sailor. He liked to go camping with his buddies. He was married, a big brother, entrepreneur, a small business owner. And when I think of Peter, I think of a dude like in a flannel shirt, blue jeans, rocking probably a big beard. But what we're going to see is that Peter met two persons who changed his life. And you and I have that same opportunity to meet, uh, as Peter had, to have our lives changed forever by meeting those same two persons. Well, Peter and his little brother Andrew, they had a fishing business with a couple of their closest friends, James and John. And fishermen at this time, they were gruff, a little smelly. You wouldn't be too surprised to hear some nice curse words coming out of their mouth. Well, Peter and his little brother Andrew and their good buddies James and John, they were, they were fishing one day. And they were out in the beautiful Sea of Galilee. And, and you can just smell the water and, and the couple clouds in the sky. And you can hear the seagulls and the birds. Are, and you can just kind of smell that, that salt water. And they're doing their best to do their family business. And they're pulling in, you know, fish. And off on the distance, they see this rabbi walking. And, you know, rabbis were very respected uh, people in their culture. And lo and behold, the last thing they ever expected was this rabbi to call out to them and to say, hey, 
Come follow me. And they did not expect that at all. Matthew's gospel tells us that immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. See, Peter's thinking, wow, I've been chosen. See, in this time, being a disciple of a rabbi was one of the highest honors you could have. See, um, you know, what happened was all the kids went to school at a young age, and then the best of the best got to go to middle school or high school, and, and, and they learned, and all the other kids, they would learn the trade as their fathers. And so only the best of the best of the best were chosen by rabbis to continue on and study behind them. See, rabbis had a certain, just a limited amount of time, um, the ability to invest in people, and they needed to reproduce themselves. And so they would only pick disciples that they believed could do what they did, that they could believe they could be like them. And so Peter and Andrew and James and John had all been bypassed by all the other rabbis. They said, you know what? You guys aren't good enough. You're going to have to do your father's business by being a fisherman. And that was okay. That was an honorable business. But probably in the back of that mind, there's always that hope, that dream that maybe we could be like a rabbi someday. So they're off on this boat and that dream's dead when all of a sudden this rabbi calls out to them, hey, come follow me. And what that rabbi is saying is that I believe that you can be like me, that you can do what I can do. And that's why immediately they left their business, they left all their assets, and they followed Jesus. But see, here's the truth for you, is that whenever your purpose comes calling, it's always going to cost you something. Whenever your purpose comes calling, it's going to cost you something. There's no calling without a cost. There is no calling without a cost. Pursuing your purpose always requires pain of some kind. It always requires pain of some kind. Anything of value costs something. Whether that thing of value is a relationship, a goal, or a life experience, pursuing it will cost you something. Starting Mosaic Church meant costing us something. We left good friends behind in Wisconsin as we pursued our purpose. When we started this church, there was no full-time salary, no benefits, no health insurance. We didn't know if anyone was going to show up to be a part of this church. Having kids meant paying a price, meant losing free time, losing money, but it's all worth it. Starting this church is worth it. Having kids is worth it. Being married, it's worth it. But pursuing your purpose always requires pain of some kind. But when you discover your purpose, you're willing to pay that price because you know there's no calling without a cost. And you know the cost is worth it because you're living out your calling. You're, you're doing what you were created to do. And so Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John, and their buddies, they leave behind what they know to follow after the one who's called them to be like him. And Jesus was that Jewish rabbi who invited Peter and his friends to follow him. Jesus is God became man. And Peter watched Jesus live without ever sinning. He saw him go to the cross and die in our place as our substitute. And then three days later, Jesus rose again from the grave, conquering Satan, sin, and the death. Peter watched that all happen in his own eyes. And the first person that you and I need to meet that's going to change our lives is Jesus. Jesus changes everything. And meeting Jesus changed Peter's life. After rising from the grave, Jesus then tells his followers, don't go and start your mission yet, though. You need to wait. Here, during this COVID-19, we're in a season of waiting. But waiting isn't time wasted. It's time invested. And this is why during this series, we want to learn how to, to listen to the Holy Spirit, to be filled with his power and his presence, and to know the person of the Holy Spirit. So they're, they're waiting. Because there's, there's always this time of waiting in between receiving your calling and fulfilling your calling. 
There's always a, a season of waiting. See, in Luke's first book, the Gospel of Luke, we read that Jesus slowly revealed Peter's calling to him. That, Peter, you're going to be the one to lead this new church. There's this great story where Jesus is out walking on a field trip with his, his followers and saying, hey, who do people say that I am? And they give all sorts of answers. Now, some people say this, some people say that, until Peter finally speaks up and says, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the one that we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, blessed are you. I'm going to build my church on who you are in that proclamation of faith. And you're going to be one of the leaders of this new church. And it's all going pretty good for Peter until Jesus starts talking about how he has to die for his people. And Peter, filled with maybe false courage, tells Jesus, even if everyone else falls away, I will not. I will stick with you no matter what. Well, fast forward to the darkest night of Peter's life. On that night, one of Jesus' closest friends, a man named Judas, betrays Jesus. And then Jesus is arrested in the middle of the night. And Peter runs away and hides. And not only that, but in a campfire in front of a little girl, he denies even knowing Jesus. But then the impossible happens. And Jesus rises from the grave. But if I'm Peter, I'm left wondering, how is Jesus going to respond? See, the Bible tells us that when Peter denied even knowing Jesus, that while Jesus was under trial and people were spitting and mocking him, Jesus turned and looked at him and made eye contact with Peter. And so that whole weekend, Peter, he's grieving, his friend is dead, and then he hears that Jesus is alive. And what does this mean now? Do I still have my calling? Do I still have this purpose? Or have I messed up all the plans that God has for me? And so what does Peter do? He goes back to knowing, doing what he knows best. He goes fishing. And he brings along Andrew and Peter and John. They're out fishing. And they see someone on the, on the shore. And it's familiar. And he calls out to them. And Peter realizes, that's Jesus. And so he jumps in the water and he swims to shore. And there's Jesus with a fire. Just like that fire where Peter denied knowing even Jesus. And what's Jesus doing? He's cooking breakfast for his good friend Peter. And Jesus, in this amazing story, he, he forgives Peter. And he renews his calling. And then Jesus gives his final instructions. And we said that last week, how Jesus said, wait, you're going to receive power. And then he ascends up into heaven. But Peter's left wondering, do I still have this calling? How's this going to work? I'm sure people are wondering, okay, yeah, Jesus forgave him, but this coward is going to lead the new church? Like, he denied even knowing Jesus in front of a little girl. And I imagine Peter just sitting in the upper room, and he's praying, and he's all too aware of his own failings and his own inadequacies, and he's sitting there going, God, I don't know if I can do this. I've seen your son rise from the grave and ascend into heaven, but I don't know if I'm the right guy to lead this church. I don't know. And he's waiting, and he's praying. I believe that's exactly where God wants us to be aware of our calling, but also aware that we can't do it on our own strength. Aware that we need Jesus. Aware that we need the Spirit. We aren't strong enough or smart enough or talented enough. Because once we realize we aren't enough, that's when we're most open to the Holy Spirit filling us and empowering us. And let's read what happened to Peter and the rest of the followers of Jesus. In Acts 2, verse 1 through 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, 
They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now that's a crazy story. They're, they're sitting up there, Peter and the disciples, and they're praying. And all of a sudden, this mighty wind rushes in and there's a pillar of fire. And it breaks up into little tongues onto all their heads. And they start speaking in tongues. And this takes place in the morning of the Jewish holiday the day of Pentecost. See, 50 days before this, there's a major holiday called the Passover that celebrated God's deliverance of his people from slavery out of bondage in Egypt through the shedding of blood through a substitutionary lamb. This was foreshadowing of the day when Jesus would come, the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, that through his shed blood, we'd receive our redemption, our forgiveness of sins, our liberation from Satan, sin, and death. So the Jewish people celebrated Passover, and then 50 days later, or Penta, it was Pentecost. And we've talked about this, how Exodus is the defining moment of the Old Testament. Well, Passover was the beginning of Exodus. And then 50 days later, God met with Moses on Mount Sinai to give him the Ten Commandments and to promise he's going to lead them as they traveled through the desert. And how would he lead them? With a pillar of fire. And Dr. Luke, the author of Acts, tells us that divided tongues of fire settled on each believer's head. I believe it started as a pillar fire that dispersed into individual different tongues. I think this is God saying, I'm not just going to speak and lead to one man like Moses, but now I'm going to speak and indwell each and every one of you. That now not just a few people can be filled with the Holy Spirit, but now every believer can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if as Peter saw that fire, was he reminded of that fire where he failed, where he denied knowing Jesus around that campfire? And the fire where he experienced his forgiveness, where Jesus said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. You still have this calling upon your life. And fire is most appreciated when it's cold and dark. We love fires when we're out hiking or, or camping or on a cold winter's night and we have a fire on, whether it's a real fire with wood or flip on the gas fireplace. We appreciate fire because it illuminates. It brings warmth and heat and light. And the Holy Spirit is like that. Our lives and our world, they're cold and they're so dark, but the Holy Spirit comes to illuminate Jesus and to warm our hearts. I want us to be thinking of the Holy Spirit every time this spring we flip on that gas fireplace or we have a campfire or a bonfire in our backyards. And so there's these outward symbols, these metaphors that the Holy Spirit is using to reveal his internal working. He, he warms us like a fire. He sets us ablaze for the truth of God. He illuminates the world in which we live. Well, in this series, we're talking about who the Holy Spirit is. And, and today, as, as we wrap up, I just want to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. I said there's two persons you need to meet. The first is Jesus. And the second is the Holy Spirit. Now, Eric, what do you mean? We, we believe in one God, but three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. How does that all work? Well, there's a great video that I found that really talks about this truth. And so check that out right here. So I've got a question that's always bothered me. The Bible says there's one God, but in other parts of the Bible, God is three, Father, Son, and Spirit. How can it be both? Yeah, this is a question that has mystified people for thousands of years. And while we can't fully explain it, I think we can better understand what it is that we can't fully understand. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, think of it this way. Here's a two-dimensional plane. 
And then here's an object with three dimensions that's going to pass through the 2D plane. Okay, right. From this perspective, the 3D objects above and below the plane. So now it makes sense. But imagine you were a 2D person stuck on the 2D plane. What would you see? I don't know. What would I see? Well, it would look like this. Oh, yeah, okay. From this perspective, it looks impossible. It's one object, and then, then two objects, and then three. But in reality, they're all one, just not in a way you're capable of understanding. The biblical authors believe there's only one all-powerful God. But they're comfortable talking about them as different characters. Yeah, this is part of the way that the biblical authors portray the one God's complex identity. They're God's attributes, and also distinct from God. Distinct from God, and also God. Yes. Once we learn to spot that way of talking about God's identity, you begin to see it all over the scriptures. When Jesus' followers encountered God as the Father, Son, and the Spirit, they already had categories for how these could all be the one God of the Bible. When Jesus talked about God, he wasn't referring to an abstract force or energy. He was talking about a personal being that you can relate to. There's a lot of personal images of God in the Bible. Ruler, creator, judge. But Jesus consistently referred to God as my father. Jesus experienced God as a source of infinite love. He said, the father has loved me since before the creation of the world. Apparently, Jesus knew the father as an eternally others-centered life-giving being. Right, like in the story about Jesus' baptism, when the father says from heaven, this is my son whom I love. And then keep reading in that story, the person who brings that message of love from the father to the son is the spirit of God. So we've talked about God's spirit. Here within creation, it's through the spirit that we interact with the divine. Yeah, and the same was true for Jesus. Through the spirit, he experienced the father's love. But it didn't stop there. Jesus promised that through him, the spirit would go out and share the father's love with all humanity and with all creation. So it can look like these are three distinct gods, but in some way that transcends my view of reality, they're also one. Right. This is what later followers of Jesus called the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are the one God of the Bible. I could see how they got there. But this isn't just a philosophy puzzle. To describe God as a triunity is to claim that the universe is held together by an eternal community of love. Which is something that I can't really understand. But the God of the Bible isn't a being that you understand. The point is to know and be known by this God so that we can participate in his love. Well, we need to seek to understand the Holy Spirit as a person, not just as an impersonal force, or not just seek after the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We want to seek after the person of the Holy Spirit. Well, first, let's clear some things up. Uh, maybe you grew up going to Sunday school, and how is the Holy Spirit almost always portrayed? As a dove, right? Well. Let's, first of all, let's clear this up. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. Dr. Luke says in his gospel that on Jesus' baptism, he descended like a dove. He's gentle like a dove, but he's not a dove. You might say, Eric, you're built like an ox. That doesn't mean you're actually an ox, right? Like, the Holy Spirit is like a dove. He's like a rushing wind. He's like tongues of fire. Those are good symbols, but they're just symbols of who the Holy Spirit is. So, how does the Holy Spirit interact with us as a person? Well, in John 14, 26, it says, The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. 
The Holy Spirit teaches us. This is why we need to hide God's word in our heart. We need to read his word. We need to memorize it, just get it inside of us. Because then the Holy Spirit uses that to illuminate his truth. And, and when we're going through life, he brings back those scriptures to our memory. That's why it's good to have scriptures posted around your house on, on post-it notes or on great artwork. The Holy Spirit is going to teach us as we're listening to sermons, as we're listening to worship music, as, as we're reading his word, the Holy Spirit, he's going to bring to remembrance the things that Jesus has said to us. Second thing we see is that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Acts 13.2, while the early church, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called him. The Holy Spirit still speaks to us today. Usually in a still small voice, maybe it's in ways that he just kind of gives us a prompting. Hey, go do this. Talk to this person. I've had a lot of people ask me, how do you know if it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you or just, you know, the Chipotle you had for dinner? You know, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? Well, someone told me this one time, that if you feel a nudge to go, you know, out of your way to show love, to show kindness, to, to show value and dignity to worth the person, you know, to, to, to share the truth of Jesus... That's probably the Holy Spirit. It's probably not your own uh, prompting inside of you. So follow that. That's probably the Holy Spirit wanting you to show love, to show compassion, to serve others. The third thing, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can be grieved by our action. The Holy Spirit is a person. We can grieve him. Ephesians 4.30 says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. He's a person. Number four, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to each believer. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it says, The same Spirit apportions spiritual gifts to each one individually as he wills. When we come to faith and give our allegiance to Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives us these spiritual gifts. And I believe that we have all of different gifts. Some have the gift of, of tongues, some have the gift of interpretation, of, of prophecy, of, of teaching, of, of helps, of administration, whatever that might be. I remember as a kid, I, I prayed, God, don't give me the spiritual gift of celibacy or martyrdom. I don't want either one of those spiritual gifts. And, but we all have these different spiritual gifts, and the Spirit gives good gifts. And the important thing is we, we don't want to be jealous of other people's gifts because the body of Christ is diverse and we need each other. We need to, to celebrate each other. Man, you're so good at that. You're so gifted in this. And to let others build us up and, and to allow us to use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. Uh, the fifth thing is the Holy Spirit helps us. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says this, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I'm so thankful the Holy Spirit is here to be our helper. That when we feel weak, when we don't feel like we have enough as husband, as wife, as, as fathers, as mothers, uh, just going through life, that the Holy Spirit is there to help us, to give us strength, to give us courage, to make it through just another day. See, Jesus' mission to go and make disciples, to, to love others, to serve others, requires us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't be who Jesus made us to be, and we can't do what Jesus called us to do, unless we are filled by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So let's say you're a new Christian, and you want to figure out your spiritual gifts, and you want to serve Jesus. You're asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come fill me and show me what your ministry is. Let's say you're married, you're only married a couple years, and you're praying, Holy Spirit, fill me so I can learn to be a loving and faithful spouse. Maybe you're pregnant or you hope to adopt or have foster kids. You're asking the Holy Spirit so that, to fill you so you can love and lead your children to the glory of God. 
If you're struggling, if you're suffering, if you're sick, if you're hurting, you're asking the Holy Spirit, come fill me so you might per uh, persevere and through your sufferings learn more about Jesus and become more like Jesus. We don't want to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person that we can know. He wants to fill us. He wants to empower us. He wants to help us. He wants to teach us. May we be a community who is filled with the Spirit of God. And these next couple of weeks, as long as this lasts, we want to be praying, just Holy Spirit, let us become more and more aware of your presence, more and more aware of who you are. The good news is that we may be broken, we may be imperfect, but Jesus came, he died, and he rose again so that we can have a relationship with God, so that we can be made right. Today, if, if you do not have that sense of freedom in your life, if you do not have forgiveness of your sins, I want to invite you that you can respond. You can be this broken vessel that's made new in Christ, that Jesus wants to welcome you into his family. The Bible says that if, if we confess with our mouths, if we believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he is Lord, if we bow the knee to him, then we will receive forgiveness of our sins and be welcome into God's family. I'm just going to give you the opportunity right now to respond to that before we move into a time of worship. If you have not made that decision to follow Jesus, would you just say this prayer? Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. And God, I just want to pray for everyone who might be watching who doesn't know you. God, that they would know that you are a good father who offers grace and forgiveness and they can find hope and they can find healing and forgiveness. And God, those that made that decision, that they would know that they are welcomed into your family. And God, I just want to pray for all of us who might be struggling, who might be weak, or just bummed out that school is canceled for the rest of the year, uh, just wishing this COVID-19 would be done. God, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us, that we wouldn't do this on our own strength, but that we'd be filled and strengthened like Peter was to step into the calling that you have for us as husbands, as fathers, as mothers, as, as wives, as, as children of you, God. As, as we move into a time of worship, I just pray that we would just continue to say, Holy Spirit, let's become more and more aware of who you are and what you want to do We're going to move into a time of worship. I just want to encourage you during this time and try to shut out the distractions. Maybe put your phones aside and to just say, Holy Spirit, I'm here. What do you want to speak to me as we worship, as we engage with God? And it may, may feel a little silly, maybe feel just a little different. Again, we're not all gathered together. You're in your living room, you're in your kitchen, your bedroom, wherever it might be. But let's come together as a community and let's worship God right now.